0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty.
1: And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about sunflowers and late season scouting. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything going on in your farm, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, Ag PhD Media. Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. We'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here, but I, I guess I just wanted to start the show off by saying, make sure you're scouting your fields, please. Um, Darren and I get so many calls and emails after things have gotten really bad and and people finally realize, oh, wow, I have two foot tall weeds out here. Oh, man, my crop is all eaten up by bugs. Uh oh! White mold destroyed my crop, and I just noticed. So, I know it's hard when you've had a busy spring, and maybe last winter was super busy too. I think our the guys on our farm move more snow. Well, I know they move more snow than ever before. Uh, well, other than 1969. Okay. So I was like a half year old. So anyway, I don't remember that year, but I certainly remember this winter. It was terrible. So everybody was exhausted by the time we even got to spring. Then you get to spring and you got weather issues. Planting gets delayed for some people. Spring, a lot of people have been busy with that. We're spraying right now on our own farm. And so I understand you might want to take a break and it's hard to keep running out there, but you have to, because there are so many things going on right now, whether it's insects or spider mites we're seeing starting to see some disease issues weeds and weed resistance weed resistance my goodness that's one of the biggest things i've been talking to people about here lately is okay this combination didn't work and this rate didn't work and this timing didn't work all right there there are things that you can do next year to fix all that but the biggest thing is you've got to try to catch issues out in your field as early as possible because i don't care what it is Weeds, insects, diseases, any problem in your field, it's a lot easier to solve that problem when the issue is small as opposed to when you let it go for two, three, four, five weeks. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag.
2: It's the mailbag!
1: All right, Brian, not surprisingly here as we've
0: reached the month of July, we're getting a lot of questions about the Ag PhD field day. This one comes uh, uh, from Georgia. Do you guys offer... Golf cart rentals yep. at the field dam coming That's from right Georgia, our, but I need help walking around.
1: Yeah, it's right on our website at agphd.com. I, I would say too, if you want to bring a side by side, we just we we just can't allow that because of the noise and the potential safety issues. Now if you want to bring a golf cart, an electric golf cart, we don't have any real big issue with that. It's just um We do rent quite a few carts almost every year. We sell out of those carts. So if you're going to show up the day of and want something, it might be sold out. So my advice to you is just book it in advance with us and then you should be set.
0: All right, get this one from Michael, who's an agronomy manager. And Michael said, I'm planning on coming to your Ag PhD field. day. just curious, are there any CCA credit hours? Is there that type of training there? Or is there a lot of other things going on instead?
1: No, uh, we are not doing CCA credit stuff. I, I'll i be honest, too. We set up everything at Ag PhD for farmers. We And granted, I mean, if you're an agronomist of any sort, you're going to get a lot out of anything that we do i don't care if it's our workshops tv radio field day you name it but we just because our focus is on farmers we don't go through the work on the whole cca credit thing i will tell you there have been a number of cca people we've talked to over the years who said yeah it's not that difficult if you go to any of their work any of our workshops or anything like that you just turn your stuff in because you've got a certain percentage from the way I understand it with that whole CCA program where it can be basically, I I know I'm using the wrong term here, but I'll just call it self-reported or you just say, hey, I was at this and you can get credit. So you can talk to the CCA people. You might be able to get something, but we don't go ahead and get that pre-approved or anything like that.
0: All right, thanks for the question. I get this one from Jana. She said, I've got 10 acres, and I am uh, helping out rescue horses. I'm curious, do you guys consult on pastures? I would like to be able to put all of them out there and have plenty of grass growth for those animals.
1: Well, we don't necessarily consult for pastures, but if you have specific questions, we are more than happy to answer them. So usually what we talk about when it comes to pastures is, number one, Get a couple of soil tests and let we can take a look at those for you and give you a recommendation based on that. And then in terms of weed control, let us know what you have for weed issues and, and what type of grass you are raising. So then we can make a herbicide recommendation for you as well. Usually we don't have a real big issue with insects and diseases out in pasture, but if anything were to show up, Send us some pictures, give us a little analysis uh, in your your own words, and we'll try to do the best we can to help you out with that as well. Thanks for the question, Janice.
0: This one in from Rick, and he said, "Guys, I don't know if you're familiar with white mold or black mold in bean crops." Yes, sure we are, are. Rick. <laughs> we we know about that a little bit. Uh, Rick said, "I, I just, well, I guess he's got a long." Uh, email here, but just to summarize it, he said, we didn't really see the molds in crops until we stopped using the moldboard plow. Is tillage and turning it over and getting a buffer between where that mold is at and where the plants
1: are at, is that the answer? Well, it can be, but in no-till, we'll also see less as well. What almost hurts is doing what we would call reduced till or minimum till because it's kind of like you're seeding things like weeds and diseases. So like, like white mold, where it's the sclerotia that are kind of the, the seeding, fruiting body. Um, I, I, I guess moldboard, plow used to be, you, moldboard plows used to be used to bury things, and so there was some advantage to that. But yeah, again, if we're talking no-till, true no-till, a lot of times that sclerotia just lays in the soil surface, and we don't see as many mushrooms, meaning not as much white mold. So those things are possible. Now, I will say, I'll give you hope. Uh, There are many things you can do to reduce white mold. It's the worst disease we have in soybeans on our farms. There are a couple other things we can do in soybeans you can't do in dry beans, but lots of options even for your dry beans. Stay tuned. We're going to talk sunflowers right after this.
2: Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking fungicide control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials lucinto fungicide from fmc works over time for lasting control to help improve crop yields talk about getting the job done visit your fmc retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hard working control in your fields always read and follow all label directions what does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition with Agroliquid? You're getting a -a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
0: You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day Thursday, July 27th. to ag phd radio thanks for joining us today we're talking about sunflowers and late season scouting and we're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD we've got our friend ryan hunt on with us right now he gets to deal with some sunflower acres how you doing ryan good how are you today We're doing pretty good, but you know what? We started with the pre and I'm feeling really good about that this year that on the acres that the pre got on and got a little bit of moisture to get activated, uh, we can keep fields clean so much easier. I know in sunflowers, we don't have a whole lot of choices post. So, uh, that pre-emerge gets to be a big, big deal.
3: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's key because there's pretty limited options, especially if you're, uh, going with confection flowers you don't have much grasses out of there but those broadleafs you definitely need to have that good pre-foundation out there to keep them clean. I've
0: had a lot of questions with growers who are in drought situations and there's differences out in fields where you see some fields the pre got activated other fields it didn't. What did you see as some of the keys with that this year?
3: yeah you know it's been the the showers have been so spotty though in certain areas we got some good rains and in other areas we uh we missed it a little and you know that burn down was key if we didn't get the rain there's a little bit of reach back with like our authority supreme and some of those brands, but not a lot so it's uh you know if you missed the rain you want to get out there as early and soon as you can to uh try and trying get out get out of there and what uh, what might be left whether you have some beyond or express flowers to uh, just kind of that that last bullet in the gun I guess.
0: All right. Speaking about other things that uh, the guy could do, fungicide and insecticide in sunflowers. Definitely the fungicide is becoming more popular with growers. Insecticide, of course, has always been a, a necessary thing to keep the bugs out and keep those sunflower seeds perfect. But you've got some different tools. you got some different modes of action with insecticides. you got some fungicides that have come out over the last couple of years. Uh, what are some of the things that growers should be aware of on the fungicide insecticide front for sunflowers?
3: Yeah, so a lot of people have been spraying early, um, you know, when they're doing the herbicide pass with fung- some fungicides for rust and whatnot, um, but the insecticide thing, you know, when we get over in that pier in Oneida part of South Dakota, the uh, the pyrethroids have been kind of slipping a little on those red seed weevils. So we're actually doing a bunch of work with uh, Adam Varenhorst down there at SDSU trying some... Some new modes of actions of insecticides, um, we don't have it labeled yet, but hopefully in a year or two, something like a uh, steward insecticide that we use for alfalfa weevils now um, might potentially have a label and a real good fit because those little buggers are getting really tough to kill and without having chlorpyrifos anymore, we're, we're running out of options.
0: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting year. I know a lot of times in the summer, we encourage growers to to get out to field days that universities are doing, that uh, ag chem companies or retailers are doing. If you can see new products and ask some questions, and uh, it's all about building up the the amount of information that we've got to get labels on things like steward. You're, you're right, we've been using a lot of steward now in alfalfa, for alfalfa weevil larvae, also using it in corn. I guess it's been probably the biggest market for corn rootworm beetles, but it sure makes sense if if the label comes uh, to, to get it labeled out here in, in sunflowers as well. So do look, uh, like you say, if you're seeing issues with pyrethroids, there are other choices out there, and I know people think, well, Lord's Man went away, so the only thing that's left is pyrethroids. That's not true at all. I know companies like FMC have been working really hard on some different modes of action here with insecticides that a growers can use. And then, of course, on the fungicide front, I mean, there are a number of great fungicide products, depending on what you're going after. We just strongly suggest use a multiple mode of action product as much as you can. Hey, Ryan, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. And keep us up to date as, as product labels come. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Hey, Pat. Let's head down to Kansas. We got Carl on with us right now. Who farms down there? How you doing, Carl? I'm not too bad. Uh, you can shake a little bit of rain loose from somewhere. I'll take it. <laughs> yes, I know it. It seems like you hear uh, these five inchers or more in some parts of the world, and then there's there's guys like us that just aren't catching anything, and we'd be we'd be sure happy to take an inch here or there if we could. But, you know, when it comes to sunflowers, that's one of the good things about it. We think, wow, it's got a big tap root, and it can handle some of those tough situations.
4: Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, we worked it out over the years that – Sunflowers are a dry weather crop. Uh, the problem right now is getting them up out of the ground, but uh, I think it's going to happen because I'm a double cropper, you know, after wheat, and we just wrapped up wheat harvest the last few days, and uh, there's flowers going on in the ground, and you're always an eternal eternal optimist. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it just takes a little bit of rain here to get them started. Now, Carl, you've done a lot of work, uh, both on the state level and the national level with sunflower associations, and and you've kind of seen behind the scenes on everything that goes into the marketing and and what demand is like both here in the U.S. and and globally. What are you seeing uh, as big things that growers should be aware of happening with sunflowers?
4: Well, right now, that's a little bit of an unknown, uh, that that sounds like a cop-out for an answer to a question, but, uh, you know, we've seen some depressed prices, and I personally feel that uh, we there's more optimism. We need to be thinking about the positives. The exports are down, yes, but we have an unsettled world, and once everything starts calming down again, and exports start going where they're supposed to, and then people are starting to feed the birds again and realizing the healthiness of sun oil for cooking purposes, uh, I think we're going to be okay. We're going to see some strength. Like I said before, we're, we've seen some downplay, but uh, that's part of the game. It, it'll turn.
0: I know our counterparts over in Ukraine were, were big in sunflowers in the past. Is that market coming back there or with all the, the... – I don't know what to say other than chaos that's happening in that part of the world right now, or are they still struggling to get sunflowers in the ground?
4: Well, they're, they're struggling. Yes, but they're, they're ahead of schedule, you know, from the, from the past, they're making strides. Uh, there's probably as many problems with exports as there are raising them. But uh, I've, I've got confidence in them and they're pretty resilient people. no matter you know, what they've been going through for the last few years, but Uh, exports there, imports here. Uh, There's lots of things going on in in the world markets and we'll work our way through it. I'm pretty confident of that.
0: Now you mentioned on your own farm the double crop situation and certainly we've got a lot of heat going on right now and and not as much moisture as we would like. What are some of the things that you do to to make sure your sunflower crop is successful?
4: The the first thing I do is wait for moisture to plant. Uh, I never plant sunflowers into dry soil Uh, if you can't get them up don't do it Uh, i don't like to sleep see them sit there for a week or two or three but uh, like right now we've got we got moisture in the top it's down below where we have problems we're about i was looking at my charts here now we're about seven to eight inches below normal for this time of the year but you know we've been here before and that's probably the main thing that we have stubble to shade to hold that moisture, get the thing coming up, and uh, hopefully get some showers along the way. Uh, I'm I'm confident you're right about the deep tap root. Once we get it established and get going down, you're in pretty good shape.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how this market turns. I I know you mentioned uh, having some optimism there. I I do as well. I think we should have optimism on a lot of these markets. I I think we've got a great shot. We just have to do our job as farmers, raise the best crop we can. When it comes to flowers, what kind of flowers do you raise, Carl?
4: I I raise the uh, oil type of sunflower. Uh, You can go with bird food or cooking oil uh, or the snack food industry oil usage. Uh, you know, potato chips and other snacks are huge, but that's what I, I use the oil type. And if you, if you have a better market in the snack food or you have a better market in bird feed, then I can go either way. And I usually bend my flowers and then wait for fall or winter or spring to uh, market them so I can be able to choose a little bit what's going on. So, uh, And plus, the uh, soybean oil market has just been on fire this last week. And, uh, you know, we're seeing about a $15, 20 or mentioned upwards of movement, and that encourages us for sun oil.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of good properties to sunflower oil, and, and certainly it's something oh, to yeah. take a look into if you're a grower or you're looking at what can I do to make a difference. Sunflowers may be that crop for you. Hey, Carl, thank you for all you do. Really appreciate it. Thanks for being on today. No problem at all. Anytime talk more about sunflowers coming up right after this
2: it takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in and Corteva Ains gets that introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air it's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. The hard-working independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma.
0: You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm in the Ag field, it just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We we'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids' area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD field day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD field day, Thursday, July 27th.
2: When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end Zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans' moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more.
0: Late season scouting and sunflowers is our topic today. Thanks for joining us. You can be part of the show by calling us at 844 44 ag or if you just want to discuss something happening on your farm, not even about sunflowers, that's fine too. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head up to North Dakota. Got Jeff on with us right now. Of course, North Dakota is a key state for sunflower production. How are you doing, Jeff? Oh, I'm pretty Good. How about sunflowers this year? did that fit into the rotation and if so, is it an increase amount of acres or what are you seeing uh
5: for us it was um, uh we grow them every year um uh, we kind of kept it flat this year we went we did about fifteen hundred acres on our farm this year so um we've had very good luck uh We've been growing them since my dad started growing them in the late seventies, early eighties and we've continued to grow them so they've been a good crop for us.
0: You know the the rotation is always a question that I get from growers that are looking to get in. When do you put sunflowers into the rotation? What do you like to follow, and what works best coming out of sunflowers?
5: So we usually like we do kind of a four to a five year rotation. Um, Will we we really like to follow um, corn with sunflowers um, because we can push our night uh, fertility program a little bit harder on our corn we can come back in the next year and mine some of that deep nitrogen that might leach down. And then we like to follow it either with uh, malt barley or spring wheat is what we do following our sunflowers. We really like uh, barley because we like to seed that early. And for us, seeding sunflower ground early because then you're, you're having the possibility of not seeding into dry conditions later in the year.
0: Yeah, that makes a big, big difference. How about from a weed control standpoint, I know a lot of folks say, well, the best thing you could do is plant into a clean field. I would think corn probably gives you a pretty good opportunity to clean things up before flowers.
5: Yes, it does. Um, We also uh, switched back. Um, We are starting to use um, the old granular sonolan ahead of our sunflowers. Um, We did 90% of our sunflowers this year with uh, granular sonolan where we then came in with a Authority Supreme. Um, we did that. We had just a couple of fields. We didn't get to them in, in a timely matter, I guess, because of a condensed uh, season for us this year. So we just went with an authority supreme. So we've got a little comparison here going on our operation, seeing if adding sonoland back in will help control some of the kosher.
0: Oh, I love it. I love all the different modes of action you're talking about there. Those are, are great choices to, to get things started as you deal with a really tough weed. And for folks who don't know much about kochia yet, you're lucky. <laughs> that's that's not a fun weed to deal with here in the Dakotas.
5: No, uh, especially in our area, um, AIM and Sharpen have lost their efficacy on kochia. So um, actually our burn down program this year was... Uh, Roundup and um, um, Gramoxone, along with our pre. We use the Gramoxone to kind of burn it off and try to get everything clean, Get a, try to get a clean slate early on.
0: Interesting. Uh, okay, so this time of year, Jeff, we're talking about scouting here in the summer in sunflower crops. What are you looking for? Is it mostly bugs that you're after in your area, or is there something else?
5: Um. Well, I just did our our, our herbicide application because we're at about V, we're right around that v8 stage right now um so when we get closer to bud we'll start watching for uh insects but will i also have to watch every once in a while for a little bit of leaf rust and stuff but uh we haven't had that as we had that quite a few years ago we haven't had that lately i think the newer genetics and the sunflowers have helped with that but insects are usually our biggest problem
0: yeah, speak about genetics. How, how do you feel that's going? Do you feel like you've got new options to choose from every year, or do you stay with varieties for a long time?
5: Oh, we've actually switched to a new seed uh, Clearfield Plus variety, and uh, we've, we've really liked that variety. I think it's been out for about two years now, and we've uh, grown it for two years, and we've been very impressed with it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see what's happening there. And, and like you mentioned, we, we we don't have the answer like a uh, Liberty Link, Roundup Ready, Dicamba-tolerant, 2,4-D-tolerant flower like the soybean guys have some choices. But uh, coming along, and uh, like I say, there's new genetics that are performing well, and the disease improvements, that's that's a big deal too. And if we can have a little better tolerance to, like you mentioned, the rust and, and some other diseases. I know white mold is one that I'm always curious about as well. That that certainly helps to get higher production and more consistent production too. Hey, Jeff, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. I know you're a busy guy, but really appreciate you taking the time. Okay, yeah, thanks. Got Clark on with us now. Uh, also in North Dakota. Clark, how are you doing today?
6: Not too bad. Busy day, we're trying to finish up the fungiciding on the spring, spring weed. There
0: you go. There you go. Yeah, there's, I know we were doing a little bit of fungicide work this morning too. And I, I think about uh, Jeff up in the northern part of the state, uh, you a little further south. Uh, do you see differences there? Are there, there are big changes in terms of managing sunflowers from one end of the state or another?
6: I, I think the management is uh, very similar between Jeff. I know Jeff very well. We sat on the NSA board together uh very similar it's just uh i probably the differences between uh, his area and our area is just the timing of when we can get crops in and stuff uh, i was just in the nsa board meeting in uh, Surge or spearfish south dakota and i could not believe the variety of stages of sunflowers i saw sunflowers that were two inches tall and i saw sunflowers that were uh, chest high so big big difference in the stages of sunflowers across a couple states
0: yeah that's for sure all right, so what are you looking for right now, Clark, in, in flowers on your farm?
6: Well, and the flowers, we're probably uh, not doing much with them right now. We just got a herbicide on here about a week and a half, 10 days ago, right before the convention. Um, you know, I was making sure we didn't have any uh, grasshoppers or any of that kind of stuff in them, uh, and they look real clean right now. Um, but like uh, Jeff was saying, as we get closer to the bud stage, we'll be looking for, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, head head. Headbugs uh, seed moss, that type of stuff, uh, trying to make sure that we don't have a huge infestation of that. I know down in South Dakota they have a real 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 big problem with that uh, uh, what is it red stem weevil I yes, think it yeah. is uh, we're trying to we're trying to get some breeding going in the in uh, the universities to try to you know come up with some kind of a some kind of a program because i don't think if we get that uh, handled uh down there in uh, around that period, I think we're going to start losing lots of sunflowers acres i mean uh, the tolerance uh, for uh, uh, the weevil is about five or six per plant and, and they're finding thousands per plant so it, it's terrible
1: Oof, Hey Clark this is Brian I'm just curious about what you just said there and and bug problems van has gone now what have you been using on your farm in terms of insecticides on your sunflowers
6: You know um, we, we've tried a lot of different ones uh, right off the top of my head I don't know which one has really worked best I know we've used tombstone, uh, uh, lambs cam. Uh, we've used, uh, um, uh, yeah, just several of them we've tried. You know, it, it's just kind of uh, trying, you know, changing things up, trying different things or whatever. We're very fortunate in our area. Um, you know, I'd say probably seven out of 10 years, we don't have to spray at that bud stage. We just don't have that infestation. Uh, Unless we're doing confection sunflowers, then we, then we just have to do it just to make sure that we have a good uniform seed with no, you know, with no bug da, bug damage.
1: Sure, sure. And the other thing that Jeff was mentioning was diseases. Do you spray for diseases very often when you get this late?
6: You know, we've just found that a fungicide is just a good practice all the way around. It's not that expensive. So when we're doing our herbicides, we're going in there with, uh, with uh, um, you know, a fungicide to kind of clean things up, since we're going through the sunflowers anyway, uh, we'll watch them real close. If we get real wet here and we start seeing, uh, you know, reports of some some stuff popping up, we can come in there and hit it again with another fungicide. But, you know, we're we're, we're pretty loyal about putting a fungicide down when we're putting our herbicides down, um, just about everything. I'm I'm doing prosor on my wheat right now with a little bit of insecticide because we've got some um, some some grasshopper problems in this area, and uh, yeah, we 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 see real good success. I'm. I'm trying to decide whether or not to do a fungicide on my canola that would be next but uh, we got to do a little scouting there and see see what it looks like
1: yeah and you you brought up the biggest challenge when it comes to diseases you talked about scouting we can scout for bugs we can scout for insects but scouting for disease by the time we actually see a big problem we're always too late so yeah it's it's just preventative on those fungicides hey Clark uh, thanks a lot for calling in today really appreciate having you on the show as always and good luck up there with the rest of the season Appreciate it, thank you. You bet, thanks.
0: Talking sunflowers on today's Ag PhD radio program. We'll be right back after
1: this. Combine header loss means loss income. Hi, Greg Sauter from 360 Yield Center. It's common to see a two bushel loss per acre due to header loss. That's over $14 per acre. 360 Yield Saver replacement gathering chains cut header loss by cushioning the ear and by closing the gaps between the deck plates. 360 Yield Saver can cut header loss by 80%, adding $14 per acre. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com.
2: This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia. Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizicktonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your
1: retailer or visit valent.com Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions.
0: You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm and the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before we also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th.
2: When it comes to protecting your field from disease and environmental stress, there's Revitech Fungicide. <laughs> and there's everything else. When it comes to unparalleled power, there's Revitech. And everything else. And when it comes to speed and stamina, this is Revitech. And this is everything else. Nothing else comes close to Revitech Fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Corn rootworms are called a billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC. Always
4: read and follow label directions and precautions for use.
1: Welcome back to AgPhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today, just taking your calls and questions now for the rest of the show. We've been talking about sunflowers already. Anyway, if you've got a question for us, 844 44 AgPhD is our number, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. All right, got
0: a question from Ze here. Just wondering about enlist soybeans and can you get some for the eastern region of Ghana? Well, thanks for the question, ZE. I'm not sure that Enlist is labeled so. in any country in Africa yet, but it, it sure could be. You could check with Corteva people in your country and see if yep. if that's labeled yet. But yeah, otherwise, country or seed companies in the United States, outside of potentially Corteva, I would assume, are, uh, are not able to send them overseas, not licensed to send them overseas. So, yeah, check with Corteva and see what you find out. I'm sure they're working on that uh, all the time in in soybean growing areas. I had a comment that came in here from Gina, and she said, this whole debate about carbon dioxide, we absolutely need more carbon dioxide. We all learned in grade school, (laughs) plants need carbon dioxide to thrive. Then the plants produce oxygen that we need. Bottom line, if we don't have carbon dioxide,
1: we eventually aren't going to have people. Yep, that's true. It's very true. And now it's a question of when we have the carbon dioxide and where we have the carbon dioxide, because when you look at the maps and they'll show basically the amount of carbon dioxide is, the amount of oxygen being produced, it's kind of interesting. And you can see it throughout the year. I've I've watched a couple of those videos. Well, when you get to the East Coast, the West Coast, where it's all people and no crops, don't get me wrong. It, it, there are crops there. Okay, so please, you don't need to call in if you're on the East Coast or the West Coast. You go, Wow, well, we have all kinds of... Well, I'm, I'm sorry. What I mean by that is the ratio of people to crops, whereas you get to the Midwest, the ratio of people to crops is tremendously different. So, yeah, it's just... The more crops, the more plants, period, we have growing, the more carbon dioxide gets pulled in and the more oxygen gets kicked out. So, you know, I'll just put it this way. I'm no scientist studying carbon dioxide or anything, but she's exactly right. It's the very principle of growing plants. What do plants breathe in? Carbon dioxide. So if we can raise better crops, better plants, period, plants then we're going to have more oxygen produced and more carbon dioxide pulled in.
0: All right. I get this one from Michael. He's in northern Idaho. He said, Hey, guys, uh, I catch your Ag PhD show a lot, but it would be really nice if you spent some time on crops other than corn. I would love to hear about wheat, barley, canola, garbanzo beans, peas, lentils, and others.
1: Well, yes, I I. I I understand what you're saying. It's just that corn, uh, soybeans, and wheat are the three biggest acreage crops in the United States. So that's kind of where we focus our, our time and attention. Um, plus, we raise, we and we have raised for our entire lives, corn, soybeans, and wheat here on our own farm. So we would consider ourselves experts with that, especially corn and soybeans. But when we talk about all these other crops and so really for anybody listening today I don't care what plant it is you're raising there are a lot of the things we're talking about that apply to every single plant species there there is so fertility is probably our number one topic on this show and on our television show we talk a lot about drainage weeds insects diseases just cultural practices in general just and and I'll put it to you this way I like listening to people that talk about other crops, they're doing stuff in other parts of the world. I'm always trying to pick out even just one thing that I could apply to my crops in my area that could potentially help me out. So yeah, I I mean, well, we're not talking garbanzo beans hardly ever on our show specifically. um, Just understand that a lot of these same lessons do apply to the other crops.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, Got this one from Mark, and Mark said, I remember hearing you guys were working on developing software that would automatically compare yield data to your soil sample points. Yep. I'm just curious, how are you coming on that project? When will that come out, and what do you think it will cost?
1: Uh, We're coming along really good. We've been working with a couple other companies on this. Um, It's called Verify VR. R-A-F-Y. And we're going to be talking about that a lot at the Ag PhD Field Day. That's actually where it's it's launching later this month. Um, we're talking probably a couple bucks an acre at the most. Uh, it, it's, it, it's really pretty interesting. And so this is not, we're not here today to give you some kind of sales pitch or we're really, quite frankly, never trying to give you any sales pitch on stuff. But if you're interested in that, you can certainly come to the Ag PhD Field Day or just look up Verify at some point here down the road, but the reason why this whole project started is because of, of what we've been talking about for the last five years here on Ag PhD, and I honestly don't remember. This might have been Darren's idea, might have been my idea, might have been somebody else's idea, but we just had this thought quite a few years ago. Like, hey, why don't we start matching up all these soil test grid points and our data there with yield? Because, I mean, like on our own farm, we farm 3,500 crop acres. We're doing one-acre grids on probably, let's call it 2,500 acres per year. So now after five years, we've got, I mean, just doing the simple math here, that's 12,500 data points. Well, surely you're going to see some kind of correlation. And granted, there are all kinds of other things that happen. I mean, a deer laid down here or there. Uh, somebody ran over some crop here or there i mean you know all those things happen but over that many data points the little things they're going to sort themselves out and anyway what we've been able to find out is what are the better i don't know if i'm necessarily going to call it best levels but what are the better levels we need to be at in terms of soil fertility for phosphorus potassium some of the different micronutrients. We found ratios to be tremendously impactful for us, like phosphorus to copper, phosphorus to zinc, things like that. And that's all because we were matching up yield with each individual soil test grid point and the soil test results. So that's where this thing started. And then we kind of went from there, adding a few more things to it. But it's it's exciting stuff. And we started doing it manually, and then we— Basically, uh, one of our guys built a really simple computer program to to put things together so it wasn't nearly as much work. And then we thought, you know, we need to do more. We need to help people because if more people had access to their own data, I mean, that's the most powerful stuff that there is. Because you, you know this, it, if you look at somebody's test plot for corn or soybeans or just flat out any trial that's out there, anything. You always go, well, it's not my farm. It's not my conditions. It's not my soil type. So when we start talking about fertility, and I, I find that most farmers out there are, let's call it hesitant to make their own fertility recommendations but who are you trusting on that stuff? How much information do they have? And are they truly making all the recommendations you need, not just N, P, and K that they have in the shed? Are they helping out with the micronutrients, the ratios, ev- literally everything? Uh, the more information you have from your own farm, the better you can fine-tune that fertility program. And let me let me put this in language that that my dad always used to talk in. Dollars and cents, (laughs) because let's face it, uh, a lot of farmers that lived through the 80s, like him and my grandparents that lived through the Depression, uh, they were most focused on dollars and then everything else came after that. Well, I, I understand that you want to spend less, but let's... Focus on how do we spend our dollars better on the farm? And so that's really what it kind of comes down to is how can you invest your fertilizer dollars in the things that make you the most money rather than just spending the same for the same pounds of N, P, and K that you did five years ago or three years ago or last year when that isn't going to make sense financially and it's not going to make sense to maximize yield might not make sense to make your ground better so where i'm going with all this is we all have to try to get smarter and how we get smarter in farming in part is by using our own data from our own farms it's awesome so yeah i'm really excited hey thanks for the question we really
0: appreciate it I hope you can make it to our Egg phd field day that's coming up thursday july 27th stay tuned we'll get into some more mailbag questions right after this
2: When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall in the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer,
0: and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm, and the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We also have great family entertainment, including a kids' area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the AgPhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's AgPhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th.
2: Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start Start your your engines. engines. Ready, set, Intego. Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instruction.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio Broadcasting from the Morton Studio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions by email, radio at agphd.com, or just by the phone, 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, Brian, you got a soil test that I just handed your way. This one comes from Jonathan. He said, guys, this is in my cotton ground. I'd like your thoughts on my nutrient levels, especially potassium and sulfur.
1: Okay. Well, first of all, we're dealing with pure sand. It's four to six cation exchange capacities. So we're always going to treat pure sand different than we are real heavy ground, like what we predominantly farm here in South Dakota. But nevertheless, number one, we're always taking a look at soil pH 5.4 to 5.8. So our recommendation immediately is going to be lime. You don't need a lot though. When you have pure sand, just a little bit of lime and that'll take care of that. But I would, I would suggest you use dolomitic lime because you have very little magnesium in your soil also, which is why in your base saturation test, you're down into the 6 to 10% range on magnesium. So it's not like it's horrific, but it's not good, and you need some magnesium. Well, the cheapest way to do that, dolomitic lime. So that'll solve your issue with low calcium, low magnesium, low pH, all in one shot with that dolomitic lime. Okay. Uh, beyond that, potassium you've got 140 to 280 parts pounds I should say pounds per acre So I mean like in our heavy soil we'd say oh my goodness that's really really low Well with your base saturation test you're actually at four to six percent because you have pure sand. The challenge with pure sand is it doesn't hold potassium real well. Now it'll hold it much better than it will nitrate or sulfate or boron, but still you're going to need some mid-season potassium almost for sure in almost any crop. So our advice is if it's me, I'm going to put some on at planting time and I'm going to put some or just before that and I'm going to put some on mid-season. Same thing with nitrogen, same thing with sulfur, same thing with boron because you got sand. Now I'll say this too. I'm assuming we have irrigation here. If you have irrigation and you can be putting out a little bit of nutrient every single pass with the water, that's awesome. That is that is what I would do. But, yeah, I mean, pure sand, you just know you're not going to hold a lot of stuff. Now, other things you can still hold, phosphorus, um, zinc, copper, stuff like that. And your zinc and, and copper levels aren't terrible. I mean, if it's me, I would try to get a little bit more out there. Because I'd like to be roughly, call it 10 to 1 ratio, phosphorus to zinc and 30 to 1 phosphorus to copper. So you'd use a little bit more of those micronutrients. Uh, But phosphorus, you are down to as low as 122 pounds per acre. So that's not going to cut it if you get a big yield goal. Again, though, with phosphorus, it doesn't move very well in soil. So don't be thinking everything leaches because you have sand. The phosphorus, you still want to get out there ahead of planting. And then you should be in pretty good shape. So those are the main things I see.
0: All right, thanks for the question. Got this one in from Zach and he said, guys, uh, first of all, I want to say I'm a big fan of the show. I'm a young farmer and aspiring agronomist. I I noticed something in our cornfields this year, some purpling on leaves from V1 through V5. All of our fields only have a few spots that look like this. They're sporadic. The field was drought stressed. Now it's gotten two and a half inches of rain over the last couple of weeks, and we did make an application 150 pounds N via anhydrous. In a few other spots of purple leaves, it looks like it's just a few rows next to each other. Is there a possibility this could be planter related? Just curious if you've seen something like this. This is in northwest Ohio.
1: It's most likely just phosphorus. So purpling on the lowest leaves of the plant, that's almost always phosphorus deficiency. So let's put it this way, because you said you're an an aspiring agronomist. (laughs) This is one of the things we're always going to tell agronomists and farmers too. If there's ever anything that looks unusual, it's great to go asking questions, but it's also important to do soil tests and tissue tests right in the worst of the areas, but then also do soil tests and tissue tests in the areas that look phenomenally great. And then you can start comparing some of the things. You can start learning things on your own. Because... I, I'm sorry, but there are just a lot of bad recommendations and a lot of there's a lot of bad advice out there. Nobody's going to know your situation like you. Nobody knows what you put out there last year or even the year before that that could potentially affect it. Maybe there's a little carryover. We see ALS herbicides purpling things up too. Usually, though, it's more up and down the plant, not just on the lower leaves. Because I'm looking at the pictures here, and it's just the bottom couple of leaves. Otherwise, everything else looks great. So I'm guessing it's a phosphorus deficiency. And when you look at your soil test, you might say, well, it looks like I have a pretty good phosphorus level. Look, you should never look at any one nutrient on the farm in a vacuum. Don't look at it by itself. You have to look at the whole soil test. Let's see what else is going on. Maybe you have too much zinc or copper in relation to your phosphorus. Maybe you have too much nitrogen in relation to your phosphorus. Maybe you have too much magnesium or, I mean, something else. I don't know. Uh, But it just sure looks to me like either something's out of balance or it's just flat out. Most likely you need more phosphorus.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, Yeah. I'd love to see soil tests just to see in those areas compared to other areas in the field too. Now it might just be slightly less phosphorus in that area. You might be right at that breaking point where you could be seeing problems in other areas of the field, just not showing up on the leaves.
1: Yeah. And especially, okay. Think about the two things we're talking about here. If there's early planting, cold soils, then we know phosphorus isn't as available. And when there's drought, there's not not as much moisture and nutrients go into the plant with moisture. So if you have less moisture and the nutrient wasn't available in the first place very well because it was cold, and like Darren said, you're kind of right on the border of, oh, I just barely have enough, that's why you have problems. So, I mean, we had all those conditions on our farm, planted early, drought, I mean, like Pretty severe drought now for three years and cold, uh, but I don't see any per I didn't see any purpling on our corn leaves, but we got real high phosphorus. Well, uh, we have very, <laughs> we have very adequate <laughs> phosphorus levels, and I'm going to leave it at that.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, I got a drought-related question here. This is from Wesley over in Illinois. I was reading a couple articles and it got me thinking. So if plant roots are being forced to go deeper in search of water, most likely the water they're getting is probably not going to have much nutrients because it's down way deep in the soil. If that's so, is the water the plant finds kind of a stopgap measure so the plant can be ready to uptake necessary nutrients whenever they get moisture in the top few inches? Yes. Then the next question is... uh, if the ear size is already set at this point and can only get smaller, is there any data indicating when the ear size begins to be reduced due to quite dry conditions?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there absolutely is. Uh, I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. Um, Let's see. I'll pull that up here. So, give me give me just a minute. So yes, as that plant Darren, fill is, some time well, here, will I pull this up.
0: <laughs> well, there's a couple things to think <laughs> about though here, Wesley, because corn plants have multiple ears. And so there's a point where the corn plant says, "You know what? We're just going to feed the top ear, we aren't going to feed multiple ears. And and maybe at some point the plant's saying, gosh, everything is great. We've got enough food, enough water. We're going to feed a couple ears. And you definitely see multiple ears in, in spots of fields or potentially even in large parts of the field if everything is great all season long. So that's one part of this. And then at some point that lead ear, even though the plant's only goal is to make seed and it's decided I can only feed the one ear. Then at some point it's going to decide, I don't have enough to make a 20-kernel-around, 50-kernel-long ear, and you'll see that ear shrink up. So you'll see less kernels around, you'll see less kernels long, those types of things. And that's where the plant's kind of giving it up because it just doesn't have enough moisture. Yeah, That can happen at any point, I
1: believe. So ear shoots are initiated at V2, roughly, so very, very early. And then we're talking rows around, you're going to establish that sometime in the V4 to V7 kind of timing. And then they say it's somewhere in the, maybe even as early as V5, all the way up, uh, V12, something like that, for length. But what I always talk to people about is, those are somewhat determining factors, but don't forget, even if your rows are set around, your length is set uh, there's a tremendous amount that can be added to each individual kernel or not. So you don't want to give up too early. You can you can definitely have better corn if you have more nutrients going in late in the year, just like you can early in the year. So, yeah, I realize you've taken off some of your top end potential, but I, I, I mean, I, I'm still optimistic with the grain markets. I think the drought is worse than what they're talking about. Uh, So if you can raise a halfway decent crop, you might end up with pretty good income this year.
0: All right. Thanks for the questions, Wesley. Really appreciate that. And I would remind you, if you're interested in coming to the Ag PhD field, it's coming up Thursday, July 27th. Just visit agphd.com for more details and to pre-register. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD radio.